0: We'll read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them whether Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. "'Get up,' he said, "'take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt.'
1: Uh, good morning. Let me have my welcome. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. one of the uh, pastors or ministers uh, here at church. Uh, on a day like this, just to take a few minutes is all I want to do to, uh, to think a little bit about Christmas, because um, we can be a bit foggy on some of the details, uh, particularly in our modern culture. Uh, as is often the case, the, uh, the paper published the other day, one of those surveys done amongst uh, children, primary school kids. How accurate is their knowledge of uh, that first Christmas story? Not bad, But there one or two gems in there. Charlie, age five, he was almost right. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is a long, long way away, in Liverpool. (laughs) Jay, age four, wise men brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. That was silly. Jesus would have preferred Lego or a wrestling toy. Hmm... Alice, age six. Uh, Jesus was born in a stable with sheep, horses, and a crocodile. Happily, not. <laughs> Zoe, age seven. Uh, the angel Gabriel was there. He's a big fat fairy who helps Mary and Joseph look after the baby. He's a bit like a doctor. <laughs> My favourite was Adam, age five. Jesus was a king, and he wore a very small crown, probably knitted by his nana. <laughs> That's great. Is that great? <laughs> But as adults, we can be a little bit hazy on the details. And this story of the Magi is one of those. Uh, we still sing occasionally, I guess. Uh, we're it tonight. We Three Kings of Orient Are. Or as uh, any schoolboy would have sung it, We Three Kings of Leicester Square selling pants a penny a pair. So fantastic, no elastic, not very safe to wear. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I hope they still sing that. But We Three Kings of Orient Are. Apart from you look down at this passage, in the we're not told they're kings. There's no evidence, actually. There's three of them. They don't visit a stable. Actually, verse 11, they go to see Jesus in a house. This is months after the shepherds have been there. That kind of ruins the scene at the Nativity place. But we've not got it quite right, perhaps, at some of the details of this story. So these three men, they're magi, we're told not kings, magi, astrologers, magicians. They've tracked miles from uh, the Far East to come and see this baby. And we're told the reason why. They want to come because, well, verse 2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these three, whatever they are, have trekked miles, given the nature of their presence. It's probably middle, uh, modern-day Iran, something like that, uh, the gifts they're bringing. But they've trekked miles over months to see this one. Why? Because they want to worship the one who is born king of the Jews. They recognize that this one is special. This one is God himself come down as a little baby. And if you remember the, it was a couple of years ago now, the, uh, the nativity, school nativity, uh, in a little primary school in Barnsley, uh, in the north of the country. And all was going well and the teachers were happy and it came to the three magi. And they're on the opposite side of the stage from the baby and, uh, the manger scene. And the first one gets his cue from the teacher and so marches across the stage and says, I have brought gold for the king and, uh, passes it over. Very good. Uh, nods to the next one, marches over. I have brought incense for the king. Excellent, all going well. Third one, nod. The third boy, he looked up and uh, saw in the back of the audience his mum and dad. And uh, they waved. Terrible. Uh, and he was just transfixed by the moment. His mum and dad were there. And he completely forgot what he was meant to do. So the teacher hears, cross the stage. So across the stage, across to the other side, and then got there, but he just still froze. Say something, whispered the teacher. And so completely flummoxed, he just said the thing that he'd heard adults say numerous times to little babies. So he looked down at the baby and said, Ah, isn't he like his dad? <laughs> now, he's not going to be probably have a future as an actor. That's good theology. He could be a theologian going forward, because this baby is just like his dad. God the Father sends God the Son down that first Christmas into the manger. Now, so what do you do with him? That's just what I asked briefly this morning. What do you do? What do you do when you encounter Jesus? So, I guess for most people, uh, in london today they 're very happy with Jesus in a manger that 's fun that 's pleasant it 's part of christmas a bit like santa not threatening it 's fine you know we, a carol service super i 'll sing along, and a mince pie can 't be in uh, we 're very happy with that sort of Jesus, but when he grows up to a historically documented figure of history, well at that point for many he 's different. And they don't want to engage with him. The problem is, he says that we have to. If you hadn't realised it, he is, of course, a seriously documented figure of history. There's as much evidence for Jesus Christ walking around Palestine uh, in the first century as there is for the Roman emperor Tiberius to be ruling at the time. That's just from the secular sources, you throw in the gospel accounts, there's much more evidence for the life of Jesus Christ. But you have to take that seriously. Every so often you'll get a charlatan who'll write some sort of article or a book saying Jesus didn't exist or he was a woman or a donkey or something else and he will make him a bit of money and that's okay. But you will not get a credible historian saying that. For anyone who's an academic historian to say Jesus didn't really exist, that would get the same sort of treatment as a, professional scientists saying the earth is flat. Just be laughed out of their university, be mocked as a fruit loop. No one seriously denies that this man walked around on the first century. So what do you do with him? Given that there's this real historical man with extraordinary claims, what do you do? With well, this little passage, this little story gives us two responses. I think that's what we're meant to notice in it. I mean they're very polarised responses. You get Herod. Herod wants to murder him. And you get the Magi. They want to worship him. Very different. Pretty polarised. But let me just take you through them both uh, briefly. The first, then, Herod. King Herod. Now, we know lots about him from uh, outside the Bible. He's not a legitimate king of the Jews. Actually, his mum and dad were not Israelites. It's a bit awkward. Uh, and he's on the throne because he's been placed there by the Romans. So he's a he's a placed man, and therefore a little bit insecure uh, about his throne, and uh, willing to kill anyone who's a little bit awkward for him. So he's not the most, or well, not the wisest person, really, for these magi to go and meet. But he's a guy who's insecure about his throne. The magi come along, and they arrive at the capital city. They go to the palace, and they ask, where is the king of the Jews? We've heard he's just been born. And presumably, insecure Herod at that point says, excuse me, I don't know who you are, but I know who I am, and I am the king of the Jews. You can imagine being a little bit grumpy about their intrusion into his world, into his life he vented a little bit but what we're told then is he hatches this plot verse 8 go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him report to me so that I too may go and worship him although it's evidence from the rest of the little passage that actually he had murder in mind see for insecure Herod his attitude was I'm the king I'm in charge I don't want a rival. The rival must go. I take it no one here is quite as insecure as Herod. I hope not. I don't think anyone here is a king, not to my knowledge. If you are, you are very welcome. But um, that sort of attitude evident in Herod, Jesus would insist, is, is in the heart of all of us. I'm in charge. I don't want God as a rival. I don't want to take my throne off my head and give it to him. I don't mind if he exists as long as he serves me or leaves me alone, but I don't want him saying he's king in my life. I don't want that. I like to be in control. But that is an attitude in all of us. On one hand, it is an attitude that is, I don't know how you'd call it, spoilt perhaps, No doubt there'll be some houses this Christmas and uh, sadly it'll go a little bit like this. Uh, Mum and dad will pour lots of energy into thinking about what to buy their children and lots of effort will go in and much will be wrapped up and a fabulous array of presents for the child. Uh, But can you imagine the child opens all these things There's hundreds and hundreds of pounds spent, the wonderful thoughts gone in and he says, thank you very much. Now you just get out. Get out the rest of you. I just want to be with my toys. And I don't want you mum and dad. You're just cramping my fun with my toys. Mum and dad might be a little bit miffed at that. They've provided, they've given life, they've given all to their little darling. And now he's being a little might obnoxious uh, towards them. Now that would be a spoilt attitude. So what had it spoilt? The other, head, because it is an attitude that has consequences to go alongside it, insisting that you're in charge when really we're not competent to be it. The last time we got on a plane, uh, very sweetly uh, the uh, the air stewardess uh, said to me and my uh, son, "Do you want to go and meet the pilots before we fly?" And of course you're not allowed in there in, um, in flight anymore. Uh, but uh, before we take off, do you want to go and meet the pilots? Well, yes, what fun! And you so are allowed to sit in the pilot's seat and headphones on and flick a few switches. Not that one. Uh, you can play, <laughs> you can play with that one, which is kind of the equivalent to the cigarette lighter, I think. It didn't really do anything related to the plane. You can flick a switch or two. That yeah, was quite fun. What would have been foolish was for me to say, "Right, enough of this." I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I will fly the plane my way. Now, that would have been foolish for my sake, my son's sake, the hundreds of others involved on the plane. That's a reckless declaration that I want to do things my way. Now, there's a sense when it comes to God, when we say, I don't want you running my life, I don't want to acknowledge you as king in my life, that's pretty spoilt of us. You might say It's wicked of us, if you put it strongly, to say, look, well, you can give me life, you can give me blessings in this world, but you can shove off. It's all me, 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 me now. And it has our consequences because we can't reject God and just expect it to be fine. It's foolish for us to do such a thing. Do you see how the, the sort of path that Herod took here? Uh, verse four: the uh, the, um, the major. I come along to Herod then, and uh, uh, he's a bit disturbed. We're told, verse three. So he calls together, verse four, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Christ was to be born, the Messiah, the promised one, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They replied, because it's written in the Old Testament. You get the quote there. See, Herod had a chance here as we heard earlier in the kid slot. Countless prophecies of the life of Jesus Christ written hundreds of years before he was born. And Herod's confronted with that evidence. He doesn't do anything with it. You know, Jesus is extraordinary in many ways, but one of the unusual ways, of course, is that his biography is written before he's actually born. Now, that doesn't happen very often. Some people are a little bit premature. Wayne Rooney, wonderful, talented footballer, but wrote his biography at age 20. That seems a little early. Most people at least wait until the end of their career, or uh, they get it, it's written after they've died, and you can have a decent summary of their life. To write it at age 20 is a little bit premature. Volume two's come out for Christmas. Now he's 27. you can get that as well, if you so desire. But to have your biography before you're even born, as Jesus was, that's unusual. Now, Herod is confronted with this evidence. He has a chance to take Jesus seriously, but verse 7, verse 8, he doesn't. Verse 8, you go and make a careful search for the child. Oh, look, Bethlehem, it may only be a two, two and a half hour journey from here, but I can't be bothered to go and have a look. This may be the most important decision of my life, but two and a half hours, is I haven't got time. I haven't got two and a half hours to make the most important decision of my life. You just go and have a look for me. I can't be bothered. Now, for myself, I don't know what you make of it, but I am constantly amazed that today, in the 21st century, people people won't take just a few hours even to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. And it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. People will spend far much more time planning a holiday or looking at planning their pension scheme or thinking where their kids will go to school. Those are all important things, of course. But Jesus will determine where you spend eternity. He hasn't got a couple of hours to think about that. It's extraordinary. So it seems to me. But that's Herod. He's Herod. He's one response. He doesn't want Jesus as a rival. And he can't be bothered to take the claim seriously. He'll just kill him. He'll just kill him. That's Herod. Now the Major, I'm a bit more positive. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, let's look at the Major. The Major, I want to worship him. Judging from their gifts, they've probably come from what we would now today call Iran, possibly Iraq. They've traveled hundreds of miles to get there. At Tajedli, uh, the scholars are fairly confident that they're men. These three. Uh, the reasoning being if they were women, they would have asked for directions earlier. Uh, They would have arrived on time, probably helped deliver the baby, maybe cleaned the stable, but certainly brought useful gifts, disposable nappies and a lasagna for the family (laughs) as they adjust to the newborn. So we're fairly confident uh, that these three are men. But as I say, they're magi, magicians, or for the Israelites in the first century, I guess they'd have viewed them a little bit as witch doctors. We think of them as the three kings with their nice foil helmets, uh, perhaps a a dressing gown or two uh, wrapped around them. But these would have been aliens, outsiders, nasty foreigners to the Israelites at the time. You imagine someone knocking on your door and saying, hello, I'm a witch doctor from Iran. I normally offer um, offer chickens as sacrifices most evenings. Can I come in for a cup of tea? You'd be a little bit hesitant. Now these Are Magi in the culture of the time not popular? Outsiders. And yet Matthew has included them, these people here, just to make precisely that point. Anyone is welcome to come and worship Jesus. Anyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your ethnic background, your religious background. Your sexual background, your class background, it doesn't matter where you're from. All are welcome to worship Jesus. He's a king for everyone. That's why the magi are here. And so they come, but they worship him, they offer him their gifts. The third is an unusual one, the last gift, myrrh. Uh, You know, in the culture of the time, myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. That's a nice present to receive, isn't it? That's a sort of cheerful thing. Can you imagine this Christmas time? Um, when you're adults, your presents shrink, don't they? When you're a child, you get a big plastic toot, and it's this sort of size, and you have enormous fun unwrapping uh, massive packages. You get older and older and older, and you know, the, the packages tend to shrink. But imagine this Christmas time. Yours is the biggest present under the tree. It's about six foot long and two foot wide. and You're wildly excited by this, but then you unwrap it, and it's a coffin. And that's a mood changer, isn't it? <laughs> This will cheer you up. I've had some, you know, the normal duff presents at Christmas. You know, the nasty jumpers, the obnoxious scents. You know, I've had the not a coffin. A coffin's a slightly different order of things. But that's what they're bringing here, because the Magi knew that this was a baby who would grow up to be a man who would die upon a cross. They knew that. They'd read the Old Testament, presumably, along with some in Israel. The major I knew that here's the one who would grow up to die so that, well, so that you and I could be forgiven. People sometimes are a bit odd about that. Uh, man has to die so I'm forgiven. Well, let me put it this way. There is always a cost to forgiveness. Always. It may be an emotional one or a financial one, but there's always a cost to forgiveness. Fairly recently, someone uh, drove their car into the back of ours. He was reasonably decent about it. He immediately got out and said, I'm so sorry. That was completely my fault, uh, which is unusual. People normally you know, tell you it's your fault that they've driven into the back of your car. But anyway, he he apologised straight away. Now, at that point, I have a decision to make. You look at the back of the car and think, well, that's one, two thousand pounds worth of damage down there. I can say to the guy, "Okay, I'm glad you're sorry, but you're going to have to pay for that. It's two grand. Alternatively, I could say, no, look, I forgive you. And I will pay the costs of forgiveness. Because for there to be reconciliation between me and the bad driver behind me, there's a cost. He says, I'm sorry, I say, I forgive you. It's all right, it's nice. It doesn't fix the car. The car is still smashed. There's a cost to forgiveness. And Jesus is very clear. There's a cost... To us smashing our relationship with God. Now either we pay it. We can pay it in eternity. An eternal death. We can pay that price for smashing our relationship with God. Or the baby who grew up to be a man, he's willing to pay it for us. He's willing to die upon a cross for us so that we might be forgiven. But that's a choice. Either we pay. Or we trust and accept that He wonderfully will pay for us, which is what this baby grew up to do. Now the Magi got that. That's why they were willing to travel hundreds, thousands of miles across the desert to worship at the feet of this one. Nothing was too much trouble for them. And if you, those who are Christians here, you know that. You do know that. Be reminded of that at Christmas. That nothing is too much trouble for us, given what this man, this baby, grew up to do. Nothing is too much trouble in order to serve and worship him. But really, my question is a simple one. What do you do when you encounter Jesus, this historical man? What do you do? you might want to say, look, my response is neither of those. I'm not as polarized as Herod, views him as a rival, wants to murder him. I, I'm not a, a magi who wants to worship him. But ultimately, the Bible says it's one, of, one or the other. You either reject Jesus as a rival or you worship him as the one who's died for you. And there's no middle ground. It's one of those two camps. And my encouragement would be you've got to take that seriously you might not like the idea of taking a crown off your own head and letting God be the king but when you know that here's a king who is willing to come from his palace and die in your place why would you not want to follow one who's as good as that he's very wonderful as I finish let me just uh, tell you this Um, In my family, when we were growing up, we we didn't do things the normal way. Everyone has their family traditions at Christmas. But in our family, uh, we got up in the morning, uh, we had a little stocking, and then we were allowed one big present. But most of the presents were after lunch. We would uh, have lunch, wash up, watch the Queen, and then presents uh, could get opened. Uh, And that was the way we did it. It was the one day of the year when my sister and I were very keen to offer to help with the washing up and drying up. (laughs) And we got on with such things, and so that was always uh, how we grew up. Well, one year, um, I was mid- uh, late teens, my sister's fractionally older. Uh, one year it came, and um, there was a present from her boyfriend. And uh, she opened this one first. She was excited about that. I think she was expecting a certain something from her boyfriend uh, at that stage in their courtship. And she opened it. It was a teddy. And she was clearly pretty disappointed with that. They've had a little tearful. Oh, being a sensitive younger brother I said, hmm, useless boyfriend my turn and got on uh, <laughs> uh, Got on with opening my things which were much more exciting and digital I have no doubt uh, and she was clearly a bit upset about this and laughter with, you know, there's paper everywhere a boyfriend rang uh, on the, the landline, can you imagine such a thing uh, the boyfriend rang and uh, she picked up and said you know, he said, it has, do you like my present? it was okay well, did you look closely at it? It's a teddy. Now go and have another look. Go and have another look on the arm. And underneath the arm, a little bag, it's a ring. And he was proposing. And she hadn't realized. Because <laughs> she just hadn't looked very carefully at what he'd given. And so there upon the teddy was something which would change her life. Now, is getting married constraining? Does it limit your freedom? Does it stop you doing everything you want to do? Yeah. (laughs) And it's wonderful. And people do it all the time. And they take that trade and they think it's great. Can I encourage you this Christmas? Don't... Just pass by Jesus Christ. Look closely. Yeah, he'll say, you, you have to give up your freedom a little bit. You can no longer be king. I want to be king of your life. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It will change your life and your eternity if you trust in him. So I want to take some time. Many here are Christians and uh, would have done this at some point in the past. But whether you are whether you're not, one of the things we do as a church this little uh, day or morning, Faith as faith or Fiction, uh, you see the, the, the little handouts, the flyers. That would be a great place to start amongst other places. Just a morning considering some of the common claims or objections that people have to the Christian faith. Christianity explored courses. We can look at things in a bit more detail, follow on in February, but why not? Take the time over the most important decision of life. Let me encourage you to do that this Christmas. Let me lead us in a brief prayer. Almighty God, we thank and praise you that you are so good and so kind that you would come down at that first Christmas knowing that in Jesus Christ, you grow up to be a man who would die for us. So please, would our attitude be like that of the Magi? Would we take the time to look? Would we recognize you for who you are? And will we have the great joy of worshiping you? Asking ask in Jesus' name. Amen.